James, they will note that it doesn't seem to follow a flow of thought. Uh, and as you read, we read this first chapter, you may find that it seems like he's jumping from subject to subject to subject. But as I was reading and reading some different commentaries, it is mainly because we tend to think of the focus of James as each of these individual subjects. But the subject of James is perfection of the Christian through God. And so James is going to touch on a whole bunch of different subjects. Am I on, Dominic? Oh, I hit the button but didn't turn it on. That better. There we go. Never always be good to your sound, man. Um, there we go. I can actually hear myself echoing now. Um, James is, the entire book is focused on how a Christian is perfected as they grow. And so they, the subjects in James and how James is structured tends to be less of a single subject as we're used to in Paulian epistles, where Paul will write a letter about something and then he will expound upon it at great length. James in this book is touching on a lot of different individual subjects, all of which are under the heading, The Perfection of the Christian and Christian Growth. Okay? So we're going to see a lot of different things, but keep in mind that the overall goal is perfection of the Christian. So we're going to re- start by reading chapter 1, and then we'll break it out into some parts. James 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grasses, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So, too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for he cannot be tempted by, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my dear brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, 
Come down from the Father of lights, which is in whom there is no variation nor shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone hears is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks of himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is the pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things in this passage that we can apply to our lives. We ask that this morning that you would lay on our hearts the things that you have for us individually about each of these things, and the thing that you would have us to work on this morning. In your name. Amen. James, author of the book of James, is believed to be the brother of James of Jesus. This is mainly due to other historical evidence throughout the Bible. And the book of James, despite being written to the 12 tribes, is not actually written to Jews. It is written to Christians, and you'll find that throughout the rest of the book when he refers to the brethren. Sixteen different times he refers to brethren in this book. So he is referring to Christians. Okay? And that covers most of our, our first verse, James 1, the bond, James, a bond service of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Now it's interesting to note that he refers to both God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're going to see him, it is, in many places later, people tend to want him to just be talking to God, but he very specifically uses some words, as we're going to see later, to refer to things about Jesus. So just keep that in mind as we go through it. So we start with, that verse that anytime you're in trouble, you're having a bad day, verse 2, consider it all joy, brethren, when you face various trials, knowing that a testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, that's a good verse to keep in mind when you're having a bad day, but it's not, we t- may simplify it a little bit too much. And it's important to realize that it's not just the first half that we need to deal with, but the second half as well. 
So let's break that down into a couple parts. Considering it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, and then verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We can know that no matter what sort of trials we face, God has a plan, right? Now, this does not mean that when you start to have a bad day and the coffee maker doesn't work and you burned your toast and whatever else happens to you, Mr. Cork pulls you over because you were speeding on your way to work. None of you would do that, of course, I know. Um, When you're facing various trials... These are things that will grow you. Now, when I was in high school, we had a youth prayer meeting. On every Monday night, we would meet and we would, as teenagers, our prayers were probably not the, the deepest, but it was a good practice. And there were, there were nights that we had some very great, um, some very great fellowship um, and learned a lot of things. Um, and sometimes we would have a, a Bible study to go with the prayer meeting. But I remember one night, one of the girls was having issues, and she said, I want to pray for the Lord to give me patience. And immediately, a couple of leaders were like, you should be very careful what you wish for. And I th- believe that relates directly to this verse, because if we look... At verse 3, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Also, steadfastness or patience. Right? Okay. God grows us through our trials. And we're going to see that God himself does not tempt us, but he does allow us to have trials and to endure trials. Right? We want life as a Christian, to be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. We all want life to be like that in general, right? Nothing abnormal about that. But if we are in that state, if nothing in your life is causing you any sort of stress or growth, stress or causing you to grow or be under trial, you are not growing as God would have you to grow. Because we are told right here that trials, testings of the faith, produce endurance, i.e. growth of our spiritual lives. If we flip over to Matthew 5 real quick, and once again, I really should have marked this, but we'll flip over there together. Matthew 5. Verses 11 and 12, we're going to see a similar passage from the Lord Jesus, okay? And here we're, ta- we're in the Beatitudes, so we've just finished the, the end of the, or in the end of the Beatitudes for the, from the Sermon on the Mount. In verses 11 and 12, blessed are you when men cast insults on you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not, this 
thought that James is giving us is a reminder of that passage from Matthew. The words of the Lord Jesus are, be grateful when you are under persecution. So if you are not under persecution, you should probably think about why. Okay? If you are not being, if God is not stretching you, are you obeying him or are you in rebellion? And thus the devil is happy to let you continue on that course because you're not following God. Now, verse 3 is talking about the endurance. Verse 4 talks about the results of that. Okay? So we have the action, the reaction, and the end result. Verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The natural progression of teaching is that you become better. Right? And this is how we can tell James's thesis. It's stated right here in these first four verses. Three, if you want to drop the salutation. Right? Let us all become more perfect in verse four. The end result is being perfect. And that is, as Christians, what we want to do, right? We want to become more like Christ. Christ was perfect. And so as we are going through our life, through our Christian walk, we will undergo trials, temptations. We will undergo difficult times. And those times are the times that we are to grow and to learn and to become more like Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but the the idea of being as good as Christ is very daunting to me. I know my own flaws, or at least some of them, and my wife reminds me of the rest. So, how far I've got to go, right? We all know. But yet we're commanded to go ahead and make that movement forward, to be trying. We should all be working on something. And it's amazing how God will take and God will speak through your friends, your family, through his word, or just to you about the things that you need to work on. And we need to be careful that if someone else is working on something different from us, that we not judge them harshly for that. Okay? What is important and something that I need to change in my life may be very different than what God has Tim working on or what God has Carol working on. And I need to be careful just because I am working on something that I don't push that on another Christian. God works on each of us individually at the pace that he has for us. And some things will be more important for others at the time that we are in. But we should all be working on something as we move towards perfection. All right. So that's one brief thought. We're going to jump thoughts here now as we move on into verse 5. Okay. 5 through 8 is going to be our, our next thought, so let's go ahead and read that. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven by the wind. 
Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from God, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I am pretty sure that this is the most quoted verse in school. Verse 5. If any man of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And I'm pretty sure it comes right before the test. Whatever the test is, right? Lord, I didn't study. Give me wisdom. Alas, this shows a misunderstanding of this particular verse. Uh, This is not mathematical wisdom. For those of you who dislike your math tests or memorizing dates in history, this wisdom that he is referring to is divine wisdom. Okay, How to live a Christian life, how to find God. That is the wisdom that we're talking about here. If it was only school wisdom, I'm sure that would be great too. But that is not what we're looking for here. And we're told, let him ask of God. So if any of you lack divine wisdom, if any of you don't understand how to find God, let him ask God. Seems a little bit counterintuitive. But that is because God has the power to show anyone himself. No matter the circumstance, no matter that person's current state of life, God can show his power to them and show them the way to him. He gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, with the generously and without reproach, God is not going to come down and just because you have lived a wicked life, he is not going to say, I'm sorry, you can't come. You can't come to salvation. That is not how this works. God gives salvation to all. Okay? And he gives divine wisdom, how to find him to all people. So no matter how evil or cruel a person is, if they truly repent they will be saved because God will give that to anyone. Now there is the rest of these three verses, but let him ask in faith without any doubting. For he who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Okay? You do have to believe. Okay? You can't just say words that sound pretty and sound like you believe in God. You have to actually believe it. And I don't know that any of us here, in fact, I'm sure that none of us here are able to make that determination. And fortunately, we don't have to make that determination. God makes that. Okay? We can help people. We can show them the way. God may use one of you to lead someone to Christ. But you are not responsible for their salvation. You're merely responsible for showing them the way and giving them the knowledge that God wants them to have. Okay? Too often people will be upset that they, someone they, they thought they had led to the Lord has backslidden and they will wonder, was well, that my fault? The answer is no. The answer is God is working on that person and that person may not have truly meant what they said. They may have said it just to make you feel better, but that is not your fault. That is on that person and that person will be judged for that. Okay? And we cannot have ourselves worried about that, their salvation, 
as long as we are doing what God told us to do, to show them the way and be that example. Okay. Now, it, we're going to move on, uh, verses 9 through 11, which is another reflection back to Matthew 5. So you're going to you see a lot of cross-references here. Um, 9 through 11 is going to refer almost directly back to Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see that very much reflected in this next three verses. But let the brother of humble means... Humble circumstances, glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because, like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun riseth with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So, too, is the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. There are a lot of spots where either Christ or the Bible talks about the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven and having difficulty thereof. I particularly like it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, Just because I have visions as a kid of a giant camel trying to go through this little tiny needle, which it turns out is not actually what they meant. The eye of the needle was actually a small gate in one of the gates of Jerusalem, and you had the big overarching gate, that had, you know, took six men to open, had a great big beam to hold off invaders type thing. But the eye of the needle was one little opening, a man-sized gate. Cut into that larger gate, you're still not getting a camel, full-size camel, through that, right? But the things you learn when you, you start to study Scripture more in-depthly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, from Matthew, matches up nicely, but let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. This is not to say that we are not to have any riches ourselves, okay? But it is harder when you have things to be reliant upon God, okay? So it is easier for a poor person to be reliant on God and to trust Him for the things that they have. And the trials and temptations that we run into, that we talked about in verse 2 and 3 and 4, those are the, f- the high winds and the heavy heat that bring a d- about the change to a rich person. Flowers are beautiful, but they are extremely fragile, right? And if you take a a tropical flower or a rose that grows in this area, and you take it and you expose it to high winds in heavy heat, it's going to fade. It's going to die. Or if not, that's probably a misspeak. They're not going to die, but you're going to lose all the luster of the flower. The petals are going to fall off. The plant will survive, right, in general? Your plant will survive if you just take a hairdryer out and blow all the, the petals off a plant, off a flower. But you're going to lose the beauty of that flower. But you're still going to survive 
The plant will survive as we, it goes through there. Only its appearance will be destroyed. So rich people may find that they have to strip down their lifestyle to follow God. Okay? You're not going to find it easy to maintain flamboyantly rich and be a good Christian and follow what God has to do for you because he wants you to share that wealth and to give as he directs you. That's not to say he won't give you a large house or a nice car, but he's going to expect giving in commiserate measure that he has given you. So just a thing to be aware of as we look at that. Verse 12. Again, we're going to shift thoughts here. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials. So we talked about trials and then we've shifted and now we're back to trials. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who loved him. The crown of life we hear about, we hear about our treasures in heaven. Um, we hear those things that are um, how we are going to have a, lack of a better term, a house um, in heaven that will be tested with fire. And those things that are good will survive and we will give them as a crown of life as an offering to God. And those things that are not worth anything will be destroyed. Okay? That's where we're dealing, we're talking about here, the crowns that we will give to God as an offering when we go to get to heaven. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. How many of us? want to blame God for our trials. If God would just let me be, let it be easy. If God would, God is somehow tempting me to do this thing by not stopping this circumstance. Okay? We need to be very clear in our minds that God himself never tempts us to do something wrong. I want you to think about the, the, the logical implications of that thought. Okay? God, if God were to take and actually tempt you to do sin, would he not be causing you to sin, causing you to do imperfect things, which therefore implies that he is imperfect? God can't, genuinely can't, by his nature tempt you at all. Your temptation is not from God. It is somehow from this world. And the next verse tells us where. Verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Our temptations come from inside ourselves. Okay? We, as fallen human beings, even though we are saved, 
we are still becoming perfect, right? We are saved, but we are not yet as perfect as Christ is. We're working there. And those internal flaws are what cause us to be tempted to do wrong things. Okay? All of this is internal. It starts internally. The things that you are tempted by are the things that are in you. And those are the things that God is going to try us with, allow us to grow, and allow us to talk to Him and use His power to overcome them and to grow. Okay? We can not, in our own power, overcome ourselves. Kind of in the definition, right? We have as much power as we have. We cannot overcome ourselves. We are at best in a tie with ourselves. But we can overcome ourselves through God's power and through His help. Okay? Now, the natural repercussions here of these lusts, which are not romantic lusts, these are lust for power, lust for the desire for something, whatever it may be. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when a sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Okay? James is not really quoting anything new here. He's bringing back things that we have read over and over again. But it is an important reminder that our sin is preceded by a desire to do something or to have something or to not do something. If God tells you to do something and you do not do it, that is sin. Okay? That's earlier in Paul's epistles. To him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him that is sin. And that is a very hard thing to consider, that an absence of some, doing something can be just as sinful as doing something. I tend to always qualify, quantify sin as I did X, thus I am not with God. Well, sometimes it's I didn't do why? And thus I'm not where God wants me to be. Okay? These are things that we should consider carefully. Fortunately, God gives us good things. And we're going to see that here in the next couple of verses. All good things come from above. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth to the word of truth so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Do not be deceived, brethren. Be careful, knowing that the human condition is inherently deceitful. The mind is deceitful and above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's one of my favorite verses that the Mona kids learn because it is so powerful and so simple. 
to remind ourselves that we as human beings in the human condition are fallen and without God, there is no cure for that condition. No matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how good you try to be, you without God are sinful and fallen and will not go to heaven. But God gives us all those good things, right? And there's no variation. I like that, that in verse 16. Um, no variation gives us just a little bit of a thought, a little bit of a glimpse maybe into how constant God is. We think about that, right? But no variation at all. You know, we, we say that God is love, God is all things, God is perfect. And we think about that. But to think that there is no variation, that means that every time that you, rea- you do something, God reacts in exactly the same way. Okay? I can't do that with my kids when they ask me for something to drink. Right? None of us can do that. We have variants depending on whether we're, we are happy or sad or hangry or whatever. We cannot do that, that perfect consistency that God provides. He gives us a perfect answer every time, no matter what. Now, we may not like that answer, but it's the same every time, right? And this is something, this, this lack of variation we find um, over in Malachi has been applied for thousands of years by the time that James writes it, because we have in Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. God was consistent with the Israelites. He's consistent with Christians in the beginning of the New Testament. He is consistent with us today. Yesterday, today, and forever, God is the same. Now, Here's my convicting part of this passage for us, and that's verses 19 through 21, particularly verse 19. But this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility... Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We should all want to be that. Too often we like to talk, right? We all like to talk. We don't really care about what other people have to say. And if we don't get our way, then we get angry. I know I do. This is, this is that verse. When you read a passage, God will usually poke one verse out at you. This was mine this week. But we need to be careful and to apply the whole thing. Not just worrying about the anger, but listening to one another. Be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to anger. And why? Verse 20, he tells us why. He doesn't, God does not just give us a commandment with no background, right? He tells us why. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Jesus got angry, okay? There's a couple of pretty large demonstrations in the Gospels where he takes and he destroys a room, basically. He's flipping tables and throwing things and beating on people, which is not something that we generally associate with Jesus, right? But if we look at that, that had been going, that activity had been going on for a long, long time. This was not something that just happened, you know, and he got mad just at the drop of the hat. And there was a lesson there we can cover in another time. But everyone can be angry, and God can have anger at us when we don't do what we are supposed to doing. There is anger, righteous, divine anger. Now, righteous divine anger came down on Sodom and Gomorrah in the form of fire. Okay? Came down on the entire world in the form of a flood. God's anger is absolutely present, but it is not something that he just rains down. You've heard the term of fire and brimstone preacher, someone who focuses on those passages in the Old Testament where God is raining down fire or opening up the earth to swallow people, those sorts of things. That sort of preaching, while very dramatic, ignores the fact that those are exceptions. Those are long, the result of long-term issues that he has tried to solve and have people turn from before he goes with the giant dramatic fire, blood, whatever, okay? And so he has that for us as well. You do not need to fly off the handle immediately. You need to talk. You need to listen to the person that you are upset with. You need to talk with them about what it is, and only then can you start to think about being angry. Okay. And that gives us verse 21. And this is kind of a, an interesting verse that will be, we're going to sum up in a word here in just a minute. Verse 21, Therefore put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul. Okay. Because of your anger issues, put aside all of these things. Okay? When we do that, we get what is generally considered a different character attribute. And one that I think probably has some connotations that are not generally accurate, and that is the term meekness. Okay? Meekness is not getting walked on like a rug, okay? Meekness is not reacting dramatically and with anger as your first reaction, okay? That is what our commandment is to do, and the result 
of that is to receive the word which is able to save your soul. If you're not saved, it becomes impossible to do that because you don't have God's power because our natural inclination is to fly off in anger. Okay? We're almost done. We've got a couple more sections here, so let's move to the next one. And again, as we see this, we see these kind of chunks. Kind of, They seem like random thoughts. You know, James had a bunch of you know, random notes that he put down in a journal and finally got ready and said, okay, I'm going to throw them all into a book. Here they are. They all have a common theme. How to live perfectly as a Christian. And now we're going to look at living a Christian life in your actions. Okay? But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like the man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked he has at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. We go back... In fact, let's do that. Let's go back to Matthew 13. Okay? Parable of the sower, for those of you who remember that. We're going to find a very direct comparison here, right? So let's look at, start at verse 10. It's the parable of the sower. And as we go through the pieces of the sower, I want you to think about which one of these he is describing back over in James. The disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him shall be given more, and he who has abundance shall have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And it is a case, in, and in their case, the prophecy of the Isaiah being fulfilled says, you keep hearing but not understanding. Okay. I read the wrong passage. I apologize. It's verse 3. I'm looking at the wrong part. So verse 3, Behold, he spoke many of them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell in the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and became, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen and they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns choked them, came and choked them out. And the others fell in good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay. In his explanation in verse 20, okay, 19 and 20, he says, Anyone hears the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, that what has been sown in his heart. This is the one who has sown the seed sown beside the road. And he who has been sown in the rocky places, this man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, 
but only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Let's think about that in the context of James, where we just talked about persecution, right? Those two things that he is talking about. Okay? 23 and 24, any man who hears is like a man who looks in a natural mirror and then immediately forgets himself. Okay? These, this is a warning to us as Christians that we should work to apply the things that we learn as Christians. Right? Anyone can sit in a service on Sunday, hear something, and then go out, go to lunch, and completely wipe that from your memory. How many of you did that in lectures in college or high school? I will raise my hands, not looking for volunteers, but as a confession. It is dangerous, it is unchristian to flush the sermon every week. Okay? This is supposed to be a time of learning that changes how you act in your life. Somewhere in what I said today, for each one of us, there is something that we should apply. And I don't know what it is for every one of you, but I know there's something in there, and I know God will tell you what it is. Now the question becomes, what will you do with it? Will you be a doer and go out and change what you do? Will it affect your life, or will you... Ignore it. Forget about it as you move forward. That is your choice. That is what you need to do to decide as a Christian you're going to do because that is how you grow. Okay? Verse 25 tells us what happens when we do become doers. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. It's real simple. At least as a concept, it's simple. I'm not going to say it's easy to do, but the concept is simple, right? If we follow God's teaching. If we learn the lesson he has for us today or whenever we hear the word, whether it's from a pulpit or from a song on the radio, God speaks in lots of ways. Your daily reading should be something in there. God has plans for you and those of you, us who do it, shall be blessed in what we do. Real easy to think about. Maybe not so easy to do. The last two verses of this chapter are interesting and maybe more applicable than we would like to admit. Particularly verse 26, and I'm going to take these in two individually. Anyone who thinks of himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. 
in the modern age, we have become some people. I will not say all. There are groups of people that are so worried about their interpretation of Scripture that they become sharp-tongued to anyone who disagrees with them. Okay? And that is dangerous. We should not have a sharp tongue in general, but this is speaking specifically regarding their thoughts on religion and being religious. Okay? If anyone thinks himself to be religious, I find it amusing and very God that James, who is less than a hundred years from the cross, is having to deal with people who think they know everything about everything in the Bible and about God. And they have built themselves up in such a way that if anyone disagrees with them, they have sharp tongues about how that should work and what these other people do or don't know, right? Do we do that today? Absolutely. Should we do that today? Absolutely not. And it's very clear what it is. This person deceives his own heart, and this man's religion is worthless. Those people that are in such a way that they are speaking without love and in sharp-tongued manners, we should not get upset with them. We should genuinely pity them. Because what they have is a religion of man, not a relationship with God. When you're so focused on everything, how everything has to be a certain way that you agree with, you're not learning, you're not growing, you've established yourself as this static thing this static set of doctrines, the static rock in the middle of the stream of life that cannot grow, cannot be made better, and cannot be accepting God to give you lessons to grow you. Those people need our prayers and our kindness more than they need us to argue with them and tell them where they are wrong. Because until they can reach the point where they can accept God's nudging and God's discussion with them, we're not going to do anything to, to change their minds. Only God is going to be able to do that with those. So those, if you run into those in your daily life, put them at the top of your prayer list because they need as much prayer as they can get. And then in the final verse of this chapter, he tells us what it's like, what we want to be doing, what religion looks like in James. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Again, a simple concept. Probably not simple to apply, but a simple concept. Taking care of those who need taking care of. The widows and orphans in that time were the most helpless in a society that required 
lots of physical labor to survive. You're talking agrarian society where growing food was the primary job of the majority of society. Widows and orphans could not do their share, okay? And thus the church was commanded by God to take care of them, okay? As our closing thought, I'm going to read a, the words to a song that I listened to in high school. It's called, This is Religion. And when we're done with this, we're going to pray and close. There's an orphanage on Main Street. Lonely children call it home. When they go to count their blessings, they have few to call their own. But there is a special lady who visits every day. She comes to bring them love to chase the loneliness away. This is religion, pure, sweet, and undefiled, to love the widow, the homeless, abandoned child. This is religion, God's purest intention, to love as he first loved us. This is religion. She doesn't have too much, but what she has, she gives away, because she knows inside her heart she couldn't live any other way. While well, sometimes she goes without the things of worldly measure, knowing she is pleasing God is her greatest treasure. This is religion, pure, sweet, and undefiled, to love the widow, the homeless, abandoned child. This is religion, God's purest intention, to love as he first loved us. This is religion. By the hand of providence, some have more and some have less, but it's not your wealth or poverty. It's what you do when you see a need. This is religion, pure, sweet, and undefiled, to love the widow, the homeless, abandoned child. This is religion, God's purest intention, to love as he first loved us. This is religion. Let's pray. Father, we have heard a lot of different thoughts today. We have heard a lot of things that we can apply, and I ask that you would open our hearts to apply those things that you have for us to apply to our lives. And we thank you for this summary in the last verse of James 1 of what you expect from us to love, protect those that are helpless, the widows and the orphanages of our modern society, to help those that cannot help or are in desperate straits. That is what we are to do. That is what you command us. We ask now as we go forth this morning, we go out that you would help us to live by the things that you have given us, the things that you have asked us to do. We pray for safe travels for everyone who's out. We pray for a week that where we may go to work and be an example for you, be a witness for you. In your name, amen. We go ahead and stand and sing the doxology as we leave. <laughs>